0: Hello so everyone and welcome to another episode of the Madam's Cast. Uh, I'm very excited today uh, because not only do I have my first Scottish based guest on the cast um, but he's, uh, he's a man who's involved with a world that I'm very interested in as well. And I found about him, uh, found out about him uh, through, a, through a very interesting book by a lady who's written all about the food of the Highlands. Um, and we'll come to her maybe a bit later on, uh, Gilly Basson, and hopefully get her on as a future guest. But for the time being, I'm really hoping is that the creator or founder of uh, Gear Halibut is at the other end of the line. Alistair Barge, are you there?
1: I am here, Tim. I am. I am.
0: Well, that's that's the first tick off the list. We haven't had a terrible technical glitch. We've managed to get going, so so that's a good thing. Um, Alistair, I'm going to rave about your product a little bit. I haven't tried the fresh halibut yet, but I've purchased quite a bit of the smoked halibut. And I have to say, I think it's the best smoked fish I've ever eaten.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> um, I would I would agree with you, um, Tim. Um, I would get into the fresh stuff uh, as well as the smoked. Um, and the product is... Is really why we're why we're doing it and why we're still doing it. Why we started doing it in the first place. So, um, if you'd like me to go into why we're doing it a bit more, I would do that if you would like that at Yeah, state. yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say I will. I, I and part of me wanting to have this conversation with you is that I am working a little bit with a, a couple of restaurants up here. One of them in particular in Burkhead the Bothy. Big shout out to those guys. Um, we'd love to have some other fresh halibut. So I, I, another selfish reason for me wanting to have you on the podcast is that I can chat to you about how that works and hopefully get some sent over. But, I mean, Alistair, first of all, what I always like to do with people at the beginning of the Madam's Cast is just get them to give us a little snapshot of how they've got to what they're doing. So I'll end the story. You're farming halibut on the, uh, on the west coast of Scotland. Is that right?
1: On the west of Scotland, on the island of Gear. But uh, just to take you back a wee bit, the story starts 50 years ago and we started on Loch Fine uh, doing trout and then we, then we moved into salmon and we did salmon on land, which was quite unusual at the time. Wow. Everyone else was going cages and we, we went on land. So we developed on land uh, farming of salmon and it was an extremely good product. Um, but we couldn't compete with the, the cage farming that, that grew quite rapidly. Mm. So we soon had to start looking for other species. Um, and this is a sort of about 20 years later. So we started in at the 1968. So 20 years later, we were starting to look at other species other than salmon or trout. Um, so we looked at lobsters and cod and turbot. And uh, we looked at halibut, and we evaluated all these species, and halibut ticked, uh, ticked all the boxes. Yeah, because um, it's it was... an
0: amazing fish, halibut, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, lots a fish that a lot of people haven't eaten, and I think in terms of the wild stocks, that's probably a good thing, but. I, I love Halibut. I think it's incredible. I'm sorry, I've interrupted. Uh, I've yeah, interrupted. Yeah. Carry on, carry but,
1: on. But the the attributes, the the boxes that we we ticked was that it was already a premium premium product. Uh, so if you're looking for a farm uh, farming species, you want to start with something that's a premium product. Um, there was a declining fishery, so so the market was looking good for the future. Um, it grew well in these in these waters. Um, it survived well. So it, it ticked all the boxes. It's a good uh, yield, the flesh yield, so you weren't growing too much head and bones. Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't using valuable resources to grow stuff you couldn't use. So it ticked all the boxes. Um, so the next question that you should lead on to is is why isn't there more there, Alistair? And really, um, it was much more difficult much more difficult than we thought uh, to grow the to grow the halibut, and the reason that it was difficult was that we were moving into a saltwater species from freshwater, which was quite easy. Freshwater salmon and freshwater trout were quite easy uh, in the hatchery side of things, but the saltwater hatchery was very, very tricky. Um, so that took quite a long time to to overcome. Uh, we thought we were going to do it in a couple of years, it probably took uh, 20 years and we're still working it out and that's really why there's not more halibut farms because the uh, very early stage was very tricky but the later stages are are very good, it's a very uh, farmable fish, it enjoys enjoys the environment, the tank environment that we have, if you're a flat fish you would rather be living on the bottom of a tank than the bottom of a of a cage
0: Mm, mm. can i just sorry to interrupt can mm. i just dive into the the beginning phase in the hatchery why it was so difficult so um in my head you know you just get the fertilized fish eggs you give them the right habitat and they hatch i mean obviously that's a novice's idea i mean so can you just give me for example one specific problem that's harder than it would be say with marine salmon
1: um, it's, the cycle is, is longer. So you have a, a yolk sac stage where you have a little egg that hatches in the, and you've got the yolk sac on the, on the larvae. And that stage is about a month and a half mm-hmm. uh, before you start first feeding. Um, and then you're trying to first feed with a, a live prey that you've grown, a zooplankton that you've grown. So there's there's so many hurdles to get over. Um, and stability if, there's, if, if the temperature varies the salinity varies anything varies it affects the it affects the larvae and wow. so you're trying to protect this this tiny wee larvae in your system from the outside world you're actually trying to protect it from the outside world and instability bacteria and things uh, but you can't grow it in a aseptic system so you're, you're looking for friendly friendly bacteria to help you grow these fish so it was just much more it was much more tricky than we thought in the first place sort of thing but it's persevered we persevered and but as i say that's why there's not uh, an enormous amount of halibut on the in the market sort of thing because it's not easy the accountants don't like it particularly because it takes longer than other fish so they tell people not to grow halibut because it takes too long. But the market has, says, please, will you will you grow as halibut? Yeah, so,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. And and um, uh, I have some friends who are accountants. In fact, my accountant is very <laughs> friendly, um, uh, but I wouldn't put them in charge of my dinner party. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, sure, not sure that would work out. Yeah. Although, actually, my accountant, uh, really good. Grows all his own vegetables, amazing. So maybe he would be a good one to oh, have. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I, I hear you. I
1: hear you yeah. on that one. Amazing. But we, we started. We started as a hatchery, Tim, and then we thought we were just going to be a big hatchery supplying this enormous industry, but then we realised it was very difficult, and to grow our business, uh, we had to integrate and start the on-growing process. So we didn't produce as many little halibut as we wanted so to develop the business we had to to grow them and that's when we moved to the island of Gia, um to grow to on grow the fish so that's when uh, Gia halibut as uh, was born and that was in 2006 or 2007 so we started on growing them ourselves in 2006 2007 um... so Gia halibut's been on the go since then
0: since 2007 and i would urge anybody uh, listening to go and uh, get onto your search engine and, and and look up the gear halibut website because the, the the little film on there um about the the process and, and the, the product that you're making is not only really well made but tells a beautiful story really well um i think that's well worth having a look at and by my own uh, by my own sword i will die on this the product is Incomparable to any other um, uh, marine farmed fish I've I've ever uh, I've ever tasted, and I, when I have before dug into a few sort of marine farming scenarios and had a little look around their websites, they're very keen to talk about their sustainability, and yet I'm never entirely convinced. However, I felt like your argument was. Was
1: pretty watertight. Um, watertight. We're trying. We're trying. Uh, we're trying our best. I think we've we've still got a bit a bit to go. I think there's there's areas. Um, I think COP COP twenty six and things has, has has made us look at ourselves even more. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get to net zero? I wouldn't say we're at net zero yet, but um, we're we're well on the way um but there's there's more we can do so so we are trying our best
0: yeah well these things are always a journey aren't they i don't think you should just start and do x y and z and you're finished everything changes as you as you continue down the pathway and when you get to net zero you might go right how do we become carbon negative you know that all of that stuff just gets better and better as you go along um and and fascinating too in in the journey keeps things interesting well okay um that's that's a brilliant potted history, Alistair. Thank you very much. I feel like uh, you've given us a good a good background um, of of how you got there. And then I would just sort of point out that I, I noticed on your website earlier that you you won uh, a BBC Food and Farming Award back in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Was that best yeah. producer?
1: A uh, best producer, I think. Yeah, the overall.
0: That's a fantastic um, accolade. Yeah, yeah, no,
1: that was that was that was great.
0: That was, um, so, yeah. So, so that's a pretty serious thing. And uh, and I, uh, you know, I'm very excited to be talking to you, as you can probably tell. Yeah. Um, so, as a, a, you know, uh, the next three things you will basically get to change uh, about the world of food. If we imagine we've got a sort of magical vortex through which we can step into a a carbon copy of the world we live in now where you can change three things about the world of food, um, with the flick of a switch. And you get to, you get to do that. Um, uh, it's quite a fun uh, experiment as well as a serious yeah. point. And once you've changed one, we'll discuss it and we might unpack it or try and relate it to some, to some, uh, some experience of mine or some experience that people might have had or questions. I'll try and think of questions that people will have, uh, um, um, but we'll get through them, uh, one yeah. at a time pretty quickly i'm sure and then we get the fun bit at the end of the madams cast where you get to to choose a few things as well so um i think we i think we're there are you ready to to step through the vortex yeah. okay yeah. Yeah, great yeah. okay alistair we're going in uh you're live number one what's your first point that you would like um, to change
1: in no particular order but in i've got my first one and i think it's it's eat local yeah not it localism and i think covid has helped the cause um it's made us stop and have a look at where we've where we've gone and where we've gone wrong um in on the planet Mm -hmm. and i think that rule about doing what we can to eat local it's nice to i think you should probably travel a wee bit not overdo your travel but you can travel a bit to To eat other than local and discover, still discover other foods and things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, I would be growing or buying my local local food where uh, possible, and seasonal where seasonal would be the rule as well. Well, they, they go hand in
0: hand, really, don't they? I think they do, yeah. the, the more locally you, you sort of try and shop. I mean, I had a good example today, actually. OK, so um, we bought a nice uh, a nice cauliflower from, uh, weirdly, from a vending machine. There's a, a lovely place called the Lower Mill of Tynet Farm, just uh, about a 15 minute drive from our house where they sell milk in a vending machine straight off the farm. It's organic, it's lovely. Um, we tend to pass that way anyway, so we go in and pick up our milk there and they've got a big vending machine, which is quite sort of futuristic. You open the little door and you take out the things that you want. It's great. Um, I think it's a good way of, of stocking some local produce without the overheads of staff, etc. So we bought this lovely, locally organic Calabrese cauliflower probably a week or two ago, forgot about it in the fridge, got it out last night, went, oh my God, I need to do something with this. Made a lovely cauliflower cheese in the oven. And I thought, wow, well, that was so nice. I've got a dinner party tomorrow night at my house in aid of the country food trust. And I am going to repeat this as one of the courses and went to the shops, you know, uh, multiple retailer, I have to admit in, in Elgin today, and was just reminded really nicely reminded that I've left that too late because all of the cauliflowers now in the shop are from Spain because it's more of a summer vegetable than a winter vegetable, and actually, there are no UK, let alone Scotland, grown cauliflowers at the moment available in the shops. Right. So, even though I knew that from years and years ago, I'd forgotten about it in my excitement to cook what I wanted to cook. Mm. So, uh,
1: yeah, no, and cauliflowers will come along at the right time, and you'll gorge yourself. On <laughs> yes, yes, and think you don't want another cauliflower, and then they'll come back again the next time next year
0: so is there a good food growing community on gear then um how do you manage to eat uh, eat locally
1: um we we grow we grow quite a bit of our own food i'm actually on Loch fine i'm not on okay. Gear itself I'm, okay i'm on Lochfine, fine so i'm at the hatchery the hatchery is on Lochfine, fine and the ongoing uh, farms uh, on gear so but gears uh, is a fertile ground as well so but here where we are at Otterferion. on Log fine. We try and grow grow our food. Um, I've got. I'm on a small small hill farm or a, a smallish holding. Um, so we have a cow, we have sheep, um, we have polydunnel, and uh, we can do most of it ourselves. Um, but I think it's just making the rule that you try and do it ourselves. But everyone can grow a bit of food somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you can certainly buy buy only local food, so yeah, so the maybe. consumer the consumer is in control. Um, but I think it would also, I mean, you're trying to turn the clock back um, into sort of regionalization, where mm-hmm. your food would develop on a regional a regional basis. Mm-hmm. Your rec- old recipes were sort of regional recipes where. From valley to valley, recipes for cheeses and things were were different valleys and different populations were were doing it. Now we're all sort of globalized and doing the same thing. Something
0: yeah. You scratch the surface of that globalization though there is a thriving um food community just underneath it and i think you know it's very easy actually and someone will be sitting out there listening to this Alistair are going well that's all right for him he's got his hill farm and his own sheep and his vegetable plot and i live in the middle of a town in wherever it is and i don't have i don't have the access to the land or the money but actually i think often that's that's true those are all fair arguments mm-hmm. right but Everyone can have a window box, definitely. Yeah. Everyone can make the choice to... Here, I mean, here's one thing that I always say to people is, okay, if you're forced to forced to shop at the supermarket, this doesn't make it more local, by the way, but if you're forced to shop at a supermarket, buy stuff that's out of date. Mm-hmm. Go and buy all the vegetables that are out of date because they're going to get thrown away or, 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 or whatever anyway. Uh, and then at least, you know, you're getting a bargain and at the same time, you're helping the system to, to not be wasteful so that's a slightly different point but i think you know everyone can do something and it's interesting the more you do the more you connect with things you hadn't realized were there your priorities shift and you realize that actually maybe maybe spending a little bit more of your income whatever that is on food that's better for you or more local and less environmentally damaging just becomes better and
1: you'll you'll probably end up buying better stuff and not eating as much of it meat or something you're you'll buy a uh, pasture fed meat from the local farm or
0: whatever and yeah yeah um, now there is something that's carbon negative um i think yeah. that's a fascinating conversation localism is one that has, has popped up many times uh, yeah and i think for me it's always the way i like to finish that little bit of chat about localism is you know let's find a positive way for everyone to make one little step towards that and if that is currently you go into a big multiple retailer and you just buy apples uh, from anywhere, you know, just make sure that the logo on those apples is British. Start, you know, start there because, you know, even that little change will, will have a knock on effect and it will gather. Have you got any tips where, where, would, where would you recommend someone started? Um,
1: it's where they, where they want to Well,
0: where, where they would start their journey back towards a more local, um, food system. I think they just
1: have to look at the look at the labels for what they're buying and yeah. and uh, uh, look around for allotments and window boxes and city farms and whatever, wherever you are, wherever you are.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, just get interested and you'll find the people out there, especially with social media these days. It's all kicking off. Um, great, brilliant first point. Mm. Um, and no argument from me on localism, totally with you. So <laughs> that's journalistically easy for me yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can't I can't argue with that. I got I got a feeling I'm gonna to struggle to find things to argue with you about Alistair. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. see.
1: No, I think we are. Yeah.
0: I might be able to play devil's advocate at some point. We'll no, see. No. We'll see. Okay, so number one, eat local, nice and simple, straightforward, great label. Happy to have that. Uh, That's a great change for the world. Um, And that will lead you nicely to your second thing, I'm sure. Well,
1: it will because you've already mentioned it and it was stop wastage. Um, So uh, there's enough food to go around the planet. If we stop wasting it, we've got more than a third of us are obese and and, uh, more than a third of us are starving. So there's there's a balance there. Mm. Uh, there is enough to go around if we if we if we do it do it properly uh, yeah. and support the overseas. I don't think it's helping us having green beans from Kenya. Uh, I don't think it helps Kenya, and it doesn't help us. Um,
0: I agree with you, and actually, that's a. Um, That's a difficult conversation sometimes to unpack uh, because I remember once, in fact, having a conversation with a lady who was like, well, well, don't be ridiculous. You know, it's good to support developing countries. And I unfortunately perhaps argued with her a bit too strongly for the situation we were in. And I said, well, how is exporting an unsustainable food system to someone else for a short-term profit helpful for them? That is just encouraging them, to land themselves in the same situation, uh, only worse a few years down the road, um, and and green beans is it, from Kenya is unfortunately the totem pole that always gets gets dragged out. I would I would I would wave the stick for Peruvian asparagus, Mexican yeah, no. Mexican salads, um, avocados, and all all sorts Avocado, of other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. wastage. Now I'm going to try and be clever here and bring this back to your product. So, I agree with you that wastage is bad. That's why I like aquaculture on the face of it, because if you're farming a high-level, high-value protein, and it's a cold-blooded animal, it is immediately more efficient in some respects than in terms of of weight gain and and food in, as in uh, weight out. It's more effective than growing on on the whole um, warm-blooded animals. That's not to say that we shouldn't eat warm-blooded animals from sustainable systems. We absolutely should, and and they're part of a grazing ecology. It's a good thing. But... That's one of the charms. It's often one of the things that uh, aquaculture as a whole likes to sell itself as, which is we're so much more efficient because we're doing cold-blooded animals. So, can I ask you a technical question for the for the for the fish farming geeks out there? What what's your food conversion ratio, and are you taking advantage of waste food from other industries within your food mix? Yeah, our
1: uh, our FCR, our food conversion ratio is between one and two. So, um, like it to be nearer one than two, but we're probably nearer two because of the length of the cycle and things again. Okay. Um, if we were a shorter cycle and the fish was growing faster and, um, we might have a better FCR. So it is taking a bit, uh, a bit longer than, than, than other fish. Um, we're, um, As I said earlier, we I mean we wanted to be more sustainable than we are. Mm -hmm. Um so we're still there's an element of fish meal in the in the diet, element of trimmings meals from uh from waste from the pelagic industry. Mm -hmm. Uh the cereal. So um you're taking you you're you're taking fish that people don't really want to eat and you are making it into the fish that people do. Uh, want to eat, so that justifies my conscience a bit. It's not ideal, um, but uh, the the fish meal is coming from sustainable fisheries. Inverted comments. Uh,
0: say, um yeah yeah no I, I there is somewhere i think languishing on the internet uh I, I remember when the danish fish mill industry was given its msc certification yeah, which was yeah. to be applauded because it had been terribly unsustainable and now it was sustainable and they'd done a lot of work to get there i did write a rather angry and perhaps slightly revolutionary piece for the um uh, for the ecologist online at the time about labeling you know about greenwashing. but uh, i yeah. actually I have grown up a bit, I guess, and I'm a bit more rounded and I agree with you. I think, you know, perhaps people don't want to eat blue whiting and sprats. And if we can turn them into halibut and, you know, trout and things and get good food conversion ratios out of them. So if you're between one and two on the FCR, can we take 1.5 as an average and say that that for the lay person out there, that means uh, that for every 1.5 kilos of feed in, you're getting a kilo of fish out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and the areas that we're, the areas that we're looking at, um, are other sources of, of, um, your omega, your fatty acids and things, algae, algaes coming up on the screen, Mm -hmm. um, as a, as a source, uh, of, of oil to go in the diet rather than fish oil. Um, fish oil is probably more limiting than fish meal. Um, and. There's a, there's a limit to how much vegetable uh, protein and, and vegetable oil that you can use in your food, mm-hmm. or you'll suddenly get a halibut tasting like a Brussels sprout or something. Yeah, but you, yeah, you, yeah. You 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 want to maintain uh, fish some fish in the diet, um, but enough to make it as sustainable as as possible. People would and you want your cereal. I mean, people would say that you fish meal is more sustainable than a soil going into your, your fish, your, yeah. cereal base yeah. or the vegetable base. So it's a blend. And, um, I say it's something where we're not bad, but it's something we're working at and, and, and looking, looking at all the options for the future. Um, single cell proteins, uh, insect meal, uh, there's, there's various other sources to look at as long as it doesn't affect the product at the, at the end as well, so it's a balance, making sure we don't we don't lose our product, the quality yeah. of our yeah. of, of our of our product. Um, I think on the other bit of the wastage, it's um, uh, using every bit of the fish uh, yeah. that we can, the yeah. product that we can. Um, we've got a project on the drawing board which uh, we put for funding, but it didn't get the first round of funding but that was looking at um, taking our fish guts and seaweed from the farm mm-hmm. and uh, making it into a digestate through an anaerobic digester and then once you had the digestate you would grow your insects for your insect meal so you would have a circular. Wow. So we haven't quite got there but we're, we're working, working on that one. That's, so the the sort that's, of, that's the sort of circular thing.
0: Yeah, that's the sort of 15th century monastic carp pond um, yeah. model, isn't it? That, that sort of yeah. circular circular farming. I really mm. like that idea. And then I think there's on a basic level, um, once it gets to me, shall we say once it's in the in the hands of the consumer, I don't like the word consumer, but once it's in hands of, of the consumer, um, there's a brilliant guy who who's done a lot of work with fish offal and fish carcasses and stuff. He's called Josh Nyland. Um, he's a, a chef over in the, um, uh, on the, on the other side of the planet, but he's got some amazing stuff. And I remember, you know, working through some ideas with roasting fish bones to make them crispy and yeah. using the skin to make a powder and fish offal is something we're very afraid of in this country. I don't know what, what halibut, um, what halibut offals like, but I would imagine the livers are quite good, are they?
1: Um, E liver milk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't actually do it for me, but it does does it for does it for some. Uh, but even even the halibut liver oil, I mean that you should be taking your capsule of halibut liver oil if you're not cooking it in your in your in your food. So we should be some people are taking the livers. Um but so we, you wouldn't put that into your digestive state, you would take your
0: mm.
1: take your take your liver out.
0: So. I could do with taking my liver out from time to time giving a little rinse anyway yeah. um <laughs> that's more of a personal problem uh, so uh, that's brilliant okay eat local number one number two less waste um it's there's some phenomenal figures out there about waste there was a guy called Tristram Stewart um who did a book called waste uncovering the global food scandal yeah. uh, probably a decade ago now and anyone who, uh, who would like to learn a bit more about waste uh, within the food systems of the world would would find that a very good place to start. Um, uh, okay, I'm with you on that as well. I mean, argue as I might, I can't find a way uh, a, a way to um, to disagree with you on that. And mm-hmm. you know, even to the point where something strange happens when you become a parent. I think you sort of start looking at half-eaten plates of food and going, "Oh, well, I'll just finish. I'll just finish that." You know. <laughs> I don't think that necessarily happens when you're younger. Okay. Um, Well, we're flying through these, Alistair. This is great. Uh, I would like to ask you now or invite you to give me your final, final Final. thing you can change, although you've pretty much fixed the world with eat local and stop waste.
1: Here we go. This one is, uh, um, I didn't know your background before we started this, Tim, and this fits in quite well as well. It was, uh, restore our seas and our fisheries. Oh, wow! Um, <laughs> which uh is do it should do me out the job. Yes, um, that I would I would rather not be farming element. Um, I would be very happy if there was enough fish in the fish in the sea, which there should be. Uh, there's enormous <laughs> there's enormous capacity there, and we've trashed it. Yeah, for greed. Uh, we've trashed it, and to get it back, is it possible? I, I don't know. Um, so, uh, they used to pool uh, in, in the Shetland Islands, uh, when they brought the boats ashore, they put halibut down on the beach to pull the boats up on, because they had so many halibut. Oh that, was, God. that was the fish they put on the shore to make the boats slip up the, up the shore um and your salmon stories of people having in their contract that they're not allowed more than salmon more than three times a week the apprentices and things you know yeah, yeah um yeah. it was there you could walk across loch fine here for for herring you know wow uh, and there's not a herring in the herring in the loch uh you get an occasional mackerel visiting uh so uh what we've done to our seas and the collapse of the cod fishery the ground banks and mm-hmm. and and all that and everyone can have their have their theories but whatever it is man man has had his hand in it yeah uh, too big for our boots yeah <laughs> so uh restoring and managing our fisheries um i'm i'm quite keen on the idea we've been looking at rewilding the land and we're planting trees like mad up here in Scotland and around the UK to, to rewild and uh, regenerate uh, the place. But we've, we've stripped the sea um, and and it's out of sight, but it it may be that we should be introducing um, fish and things to the, to the locks that we're now getting. They are being, there are places that are getting protection and maybe the places that are getting protection, we should be, um adding fish cod halibut haddock whatever we can we in a hatchery we can do anything we can we can spawn fish and increase the and enhance a a fishery if it's if it's worth it they've been enhancing lobster fisheries um oh yes uh cornish
0: lobster um uh, hatchery is an interesting one actually um uh, and quite a a very uh, an unusually foresightful project given that it's fishery uh, and fishermen funded. Um, I think that's an interesting one. There's, a, um, I live on the edge of the Murray Firth. I haven't lived here very long, but all along the edge of the Murray Firth, um, particularly at the beaches near me, there are these huge concrete blocks that were put down during the Second World War to stop potential landing. Uh, yeah. By landing craft, huge thousands of I mean, them. there must be thousands of them. I haven't counted the ones just along the beach from Losymer to Garmouth yet, but there are a lot of them. And I had a, I have a sort of ambition to get them all picked up and dropped into the Firth so they can't be trawled over. Right. That would, that would, that Can would be. just bring me a huge amount of joy. It's been a long time um, since I was involved with um, fisheries and that that world and the campaigning within it, but. Um, one of the dreams that we all used to share was the idea of a worldwide moratorium on commercial fishing for four years and what, what that would bring in terms of benefit. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's no doubt that that we have the capacity now to, to, to fish out all the North Atlantic um, yeah. within sort of a month, if we put our minds to it, no fish left. And that is a very, very frightening place to be especially when you consider how vast a carbon sink the oceans are
1: yeah 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 no it's tragic tragic oh
0: god right i've got to find a positive story to end this piece uh, but i think
1: i i think there's there's opportunity to enhance coastal fishing i think that's uh, that that's my positive thing i think okay okay as, well, I say, it, as i say we're we're trying to recover the terrestrial land we realize that We've made a a muck of that, Uh, and we're enhancing tree plantations and biodiversity and things. Um, We've got some protection in the sea. It may just take a long time, but I think we could maybe speed it up and and try and repair some of the damage we've done.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, because I've been out of touch with it for a while, how are we getting on with marine protected areas?
1: Um, Yeah no the, the, the it's uh, is dotted up dotted up the west coast um, so it could be it could be much it could be much more um, It's getting the fish fish guys if you could get them on side and and the protected areas would be the spawning grounds and then horn spits and the and the fish would come out of those those areas and and the, the fishing guys can catch them.
0: Makes perfect yeah. sense, doesn't it? I, I, there's a good example of that down in the southwest of England with the Lime Bay um, no-take zone. It's actually just a bottom fishing ban, um, yeah. which was put into place in a big box there. But the, the resurgence, purely from banning one method of fishing, which is effectively bottom trawling and dredging, is just amazing. It, you know, in 20 years, what's happened down there is phenomenal. Uh, and then the Cornish, uh, the I don't know if I'm going to get the right muscle company, but there's some guys, I think they're the Cornish muscle company. And about 10 years ago, they said, right, we've had enough of this growing muscles in the, in the estuary We keep getting viral counts that are too high in them when everyone's sick in the winter and we have to shut the fishery, yada, yada. We're going to put them, the rope grown muscles, uh, and we're going to use a vertical way of doing it. We're going to sink the big weights to the bottom of the sea. We're going to have big floats on the top. We're going to have vertically farmed mussels in tidal water out at sea. Not very far out at sea, but out at sea. And everybody said to them, including like, the local fishermen, you're completely mad, it'll never work. It'll knacker the fishing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out that what you do there is you create an amazing habitat uh, fish lover feature but before you know it and because you can't drag a trawler through it not only are you growing these incredible mussels but you're providing onward environmental benefits the mussels are cleaning the water they're a net gain for the world full stop and then you've also got other fish coming to hide and live within this natural or unnatural reef that you've created with your vertical mussel farm I mean it, 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 when it's not difficult to go out and find interesting sustainable and innovative ideas within aquaculture and um, within um, fisheries management. Yeah. But at what point do they become the norm? You know, that's what I'm struggling with.
1: Um, but I would be I'd be very happy to be out of a job. Yeah. As a fish farmer.
0: Good you, you well don't don't give it up just yet. No, I won't give um, it up. <laughs> day, <laughs> <way>. <laughs> we love the halibut, so so yeah, please yeah, don't yeah. give it up just yet. And yeah. and actually it's quite nice because you've effectively put halibut back on the menu for me.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, because it's been off the menu for quite a while uh, uh, because of the depleted natural stocks in the wild. Well,
1: well, it used to be a call from from five days out that I've got a halibut on board, do you want it? And then it would be landed in Grimsby and then it would be in your restaurant three days later. So it would be 10 days old by the time it got to you. Mm-hmm. And the, the beauty of the farming process is that. Your fish are harvested and iced straight away, and they're with the customer in thirty-six hours. Okay. So and you and you, and you don't actually want it earlier than that because it's just uh, it's just au point when it's ah. 40, 48 old, forty-eight hours old.
0: So. There you go. Because I was going to be my next question. You've beaten me to it. We used to buy these mm. hand-dived um, place diver speared place uh, when I was down in the West Country uh, from time to time, and. They were only, were they, as, you know, fine example of places you remember them being great big fish. um. But they were also uh way too fresh. And if you tried to yeah. eat them in yeah. the first three days, everyone would complain that they were tough. So I, my next question, which I think you've already answered, was, is there a sweet spot? I mean, can you have the halibut too fresh? You've already answered that, yes. And is it is it a toughness thing? Are they too tough?
1: Yeah, I think it just... Uh... Uh, your your rigor and things are still coming out of it, and things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to eat something in rigor. No, no. Uh, before or after, I would say. Um, but then it's keeping qualities. uh again, it's amazing that it's the core temperature is down to one and a half degrees in four hours or something, and um, then you're sitting in a in a well refrigerated kitchen or something, and it it lasts for for a long time oh that's so very exciting it has amazing keeping qualities uh,
0: and and what do you do? do you send them out whole
1: we send them out whole once you cut into once you cut into the fish your shelf life starts ticking
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah you're, you're better having a whole fish and then i agree keeping it whole and then getting it out the ice and it's as good as new two weeks after harvest amazing
0: okay. amazing um well i could i could i could definitely continue chatting to you about this and particularly would like to to take the time to have a deeper dive on you growing your own plants and um, to feed to the hatchlings that sounds uh, that sounds amazing or the or the um the larvae uh, as you call them but i don't think i i, I can turn the entire episode of the Madams cast over to my own selfish interest in in cold water aquaculture um so i think i'll have to save that perhaps for a later conversation with you off the recording but um certainly be interested to find out more about it oh, yeah. um Okay. Well, that's three things. Restore the seas and fisheries yep. which is, a, is a big thing. And that's fine. We go for helicopter on that. that. That's not a problem at all. End food waste and eat local. You've gone for three things that are very, very close to my heart, which is yep. uh, miraculous given that you yes. didn't, didn't know my background <laughs> before we spoke to you. So that's, that's not only good, but, but a joy as well to hear. Um, and uh, I, I, for one, am always keeping my eyes out for, for people doing doing things differently and that's obviously how you've come to my attention. So um yeah. that's great. You now now you get to have what I would call a bit of fun at the end of your um, yeah. world changing. Now that you've fixed the world of food, um you can retire to somewhere comfy uh with one food book uh, and a drink to have while you read it. Um and I'd love to hear about what that is.
1: Well, it gets it gets worse actually. Uh Timmy uh, it is a fix because I've got Hugh Fernley, your old boss. <laughs> I've got I've got Hugh Fernley and his veggie book. Yeah.
0: Oh, veg, veg every day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, I like that book. Uh that sort of got me off the off too much meat, so I'm still keen on my meat and my fish, but uh Hugh got us got us going on the veggie, so i'm grateful for that but not just for that but on the subject that we had before the fisheries thing that uh, fish fight and things that he did uh was commendable um he can wind people up and he's good at winding them up uh so he did a fantastic job on that and his other campaigns mm. so i take take my take my hat off to Hugh, Hugh and i thank him very much for his uh, veggie book. I want to try and get him to gear. I want to try and get him to gear, Hugh, so you could get him over to gear. To...
0: Well, I can put. You, I can introduce you via email if you like. Yeah, yeah, that's not a problem at all. I'll even put in a call to the old boy and see if I can uh, can talk him into it. Um, but I'm sure that he actually is he spends a lot of time uh, up in Scotland uh, in the summer. So I think it wouldn't be too difficult to organise. Maybe we should aim to try and have supper together next summer. Mm. Um, uh, I'm making it sound like Hugh's my best mate. That's that's not the case at all. But I do <laughs> mm-hmm. I do know him, and uh, and I might be able to make that happen. And I think it's a project he'd be interested in. So without trying mm-hmm. to second guess him too much, I, I will make the effort yeah. off off air to see if I can um, put those two things together.
1: And he, with my veggie recipe, I'd yeah. wash it down. I'd wash it down with a fine ale, a fine ale. Ooh. Which I don't know if you've come across fine ales.
0: I haven't got that. I know I'm sort of currently getting to know uh, the Windswept Brewery in Lossiemouth and the um, uh, the Spay Brewery, uh, Speyside Brewery as well, which are, are great. And uh, but I'm looking forward to finding out about the fine well, brewery.
1: Put fine ale. It's a farm farm brewery. Put that on your bucket list to fill your bucket with with fine fine ale um they've got some very good ones i would be having a yarl or a avalanche myself so and that goes down well with halibut barbecued barbecued halibut Oof, dear. oh dear me
0: oh my I'm goodness doing. oh that see now i'm i'm with you i'm <laughs> i've ruined your your desert island because i've now i've tipped up uh, myself with because <laughs> i can smell the halibut cooking yeah. and i can almost taste the beer that that's fantastic um mm-hmm. you you've, you've painted a good picture there um okay we've well, got one last task now this is a non-committal task okay the person doesn't have to exist they can be alive dead real fictitious they're not in, in any way under any pressure to to then come on the madams cast but you are permitted to Uh, to nominate somebody for a future guest on the Madam's Car. So if there's someone that springs to mind, you know, we're not going to hunt them down, chloroform them and stick them in the back of the van make them do it. But it would be interesting to know who you think would make a good guest.
1: I would propose a Pam Brunton. Pam as the Inver Restaurant. Oh! Uh, Have you? And that, she's just up the road from us here. And um, so...
0: That's somewhere uh, I've been trying to get to and yeah. know, continually failing to do so uh, because and, I live on the wrong side of Scotland. But
1: and, fam- and Pam covers all those subjects that we've we've talked about, the local and the wastage and, you know, everything that we've talked about. She's uh, a champion. And um, she's been using Kia Halibut since... Since she started uh, the restaurant, which must be seven or eight years ago, she's had Gia Halibut on every night and eats every bit of it, the head, everything, everything gets gets used. She's onto the liver and the rose and everything. And she does that with, with all the products and it's all local and it's extraordinary uh, what she's achieved and the flavors that you're, yeah, it's an experience. Your palate's not quite ready for things and you don't know what you're going to taste and your palate gets a shock and it likes it. It likes what it tastes, but it, it doesn't know what it's going to taste because you haven't tasted it before sometimes.
0: Amazing. Pam so, Bronson, right. Well, she is Pam, definitely going to get
1: hammered. Pam at Inver Restaurant. So...
0: Uh, and they're well worth a follow on Instagram, actually, uh, dear listeners, uh, um in the restaurant doing some some great activity on there talking about what they do, and they've got a little body as well. I think that you can go and stay in.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. No.
0: okay excellent and actually while we're on the subject of instagram uh, it's a good place to go and find out a little bit more about gear halibut and have a look at your product and as i say the film on the website is a great place to, to have a little look at as well um and in the meantime once we get off air we'll get cracking um sorting out restoring the seas and fisheries ending food waste and eating more locally
1: yeah <laughs> so no new subjects for you there tim but
0: no, but that you know, I mean, that's part of life, isn't it? The same yeah. old problems come back, mm. and I, you know, I would like to go, uh, as I said, like to take a deeper dive on some of those and have a chat with you about, um, uh, in, in some more detail of not only about what you're doing, um, but about how you would see uh, some of these things panning out, and and again, I would encourage people and say, I think that that is always a journey. You know, if you've tried something, you've tried a a, a more local diet and it didn't work out, don't let it put you off trying. Something else again next time, you know. Um, keep trying until you find the thing that works for you that that, that suits and, and does well.
1: But I think I mean COVID did did uh cover all those topics as well. Mm-hmm. I mean the the shutdown, the lockdown, people did discover local food and staycations and, and things, you know. They didn't they they had to. And maybe they didn't waste so much. And the fishery this the fisheries got a break. Uh, yeah. They got they got a six month they got a six month break the spawning of fish and things they 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 did get a break so there may be a bit of bounce back there but we, we proved that we can't you can actually stop the world for a bit so you can actually stop plundering the oceans for a bit oh. yeah
0: mm-hmm. the ocean one is a difficult one isn't it because people always say to me you know there's livelihoods involved there's this there's that the other what are you talking about and I always sort of use this analogy I say let, just imagine you've been given the keys to a gold mine. And you can go into that gold mine every single day and take out enough gold to keep you more than happy. And you can do that eternally. You can pass the keys from that gold mine on to the next generation and you can keep doing that forever as long as you don't take too much gold. Mm -hmm. If you take all the gold out at once, you've knackered the mine and you can never go in it again. And that really, for me, fundamentally (laughs) underlines the issue with fisheries. We have got to stop taking too much out for the mm. purely for the process of making money. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, on that slightly negative point, I will uh, <laughs> I will thank you once again, Alistair Barge, for joining me on the Madams Cast, for being a good sport and coming on. Um, I would recommend everyone to to go and have a look at your product. And if you are, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to make this. Uh, I don't eat salmon ever uh there's a couple of tiny exclusions to that but they're not worth bothering with and i think it's one of those things we've not talked about salmon farming i think that's a good thing because i think it gets bashed a lot don't need to see that here but everybody out there that's listening to this podcast if you all don't buy smoked salmon this christmas buy some smoked halibut from gear um, you'll have made a brilliant difference to the world, and I'll be eternally grateful. Not to mention the fact that you all have some really, really, really good smoked fish to eat. Um, there you go, Alistair. I can't do a better plug for you no, than that. Very good.
1: Well done, Tim. Very Excellent.
0: Good. Excellent. Well, um, thank you very much for coming on the Madam's cast. Uh, I look forward to chatting with you in more depth, face to face, at a future opportunity.
1: Look forward to it, Tim. Okay. Cheers, Alistair. Cheers. Bye.